Let's pray. Lord, as we enter in to discovering more of what you would have to teach us, and especially upon this theme of rest, I sense in my soul on a regular basis that not only myself, but my friends, my colleagues, just need you to bring some calm, some peace, and some rest. So, Lord, um, I pray that you would use these words that are about to be spoken and this time that we have together to do only the work that you can do, which is to breathe new life into every single one of us. So open our ears, open our hearts, open our minds, Lord. May you be present in this place. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Welcome to the series entitled Rest, which when we announced it several weeks ago, we got a lot of woo-hoos about this. And when I've been thinking and considering this particular theme and teaching, I keep thinking, can we just do this series for the rest of our existence? Well, we can't do it for the rest of our existence, but we will do it for a season. Today, we're going to start with My Yoke is Easy. Uh, next week, Danielle, as you already mentioned, as she already mentioned, is going to be talking about Living Water. We have our two-year anniversary. Um, on the 26th, we're going to be talking about, um, I've entitled it Faith to be Found, and we have one of our members here at, uh, in this church who's going to be sharing a little bit of the journey regarding suffering and pain and finding rest in all of that and finding faith, a whole new faith. Josh, our intern, is going to be sharing a message on the 2nd. Uh, Mark Iaconelli, because he's in town, will be sharing on the 9th, and then we'll continue on with Jesus' healer. The 23rd, you don't want to miss because we're just going to take a nap. <laughs> the 30th, we'll talk about quiet waters. Um, Psalm 23, the 7th, peace be still when Jesus calms the storm. And then on the 14th, right before our Christmas season, we're going to be talking about trusting this mystery because regardless of the teachings that we are going to give, I imagine that all of us are going to constantly be in the tension of desperately wanting rest, but desperately being pressured to perform and living in the mystery of all that. So today, well, let's talk about my yoke is easy. It comes from a passage of Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Jesus says, come to me. All of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The very words of Jesus. Question, how many of you feel exhausted? <laughs> a lot of hands going up all over the place. And some of you who didn't raise your hands, I understand you're too tired to. <laughs> now, when I say exhausted, there's a couple things that we mean. The first kind of exhaustion is this kind of exhaustion, the exhaustion of pace, schedule, time, chronology, needing to get to this thing and the next thing and running at such a frenetic pace that you are physically exhausted so much so that your mental capabilities begin to shut down. Your memory begins to shut down. You don't know where you put your keys anymore. You lose your wallet. You use your glasses because your brain is just constantly thinking of the next thing. And if you ask somebody the question, so what did you do today? Your brain just automatically fritzes and goes, I have no idea. 
because I am planning for the next thing. So feeling exhausted, feeling tired, feeling as if you're not getting enough sleep. But there's another kind of exhaustion. The other kind of exhaustion is a mental or emotional exhaustion. And it's the kind of exhaustion that many of us carry around with us, that we are working so hard to try to think about things or know about things in a certain way and to make sense of our world, but we simply can't make sense of it. We've been trying to put events of our lives in certain categories of which we'll understand what it means and how it works and how it fits into the grand scheme of my plan, but the reality is it doesn't really fit. And you're working so hard to try to make accomplishments or goals, and it just doesn't seem to happen. You think the world works in a particular way, and the world just constantly throws back at you, no, I don't work that way, and you're trying to figure all of that out. That's a mental and emotional kind of exhaustion. This happens in churches, this happens in business, this happens in your own personal life, which is why when you go to the bookstore and the self-help section is just huge, because you're trying to figure out, how does this management work? And then there's this other kind of exhaustion, which I will call just simply spiritually exhausted. That's the kind of exhaustion that comes that if you've grown up in the church or you've heard about religious things or concepts or ideas, when you hear them, you don't walk away feeling fully alive, as we talked about last week. You walk away feeling pressured, burdened. All of a sudden, whatever that preacher said, whatever that religious or spiritual book said, whatever that message that came across, you walk away feeling like, I'm not good enough. Or, oh, I really have to take care of these things. There's a little bit of Danielle's message, uh, the illustration that she shared earlier about your image or perception of God. And when it comes to church, especially because we're in a church, there are things like theological chauvinism. My theology is better than your theology. And you can feel this pressure, this exhaustion. There's the culture wars, which is popular amongst religious circles, where we have the religious moral right to impose upon everybody else how you should behave. And there's this constant fight and this constant battle. You ever feel like religious people or religious ideas are constantly policing you morally? Um, there's the idea or concept of religious restrictivism, that the very best of spirituality is to restrict everything that's good in your life. Um, heretic hunting, there's all sorts of different ways. Fascinatingly enough, I was, you know, ready for this message for today and this whole series that we're doing, which we're super excited about. And I was at a conference this last weekend, and the person that was speaking, one of the speakers, spoke on this very idea and talked about religious exhaustion, religious oppression. And she said, and she's a professor down at Fuller Youth Institute, uh, Fuller Seminary, and, and works with the Fuller Youth Institute. And she was talking about a survey done of people that attended church. And they said, fundamentally, the two words that sum up the sentiment and the idea that we take away from church is try harder. Question, has anybody in this room or anybody listening to this message ever felt like you went to a service or you thought of a religious idea or you heard a sermon and the message that you took away from it is, I'm not good enough, I must try harder. And instead of life being breathed into your soul, a burden was placed upon your shoulders. So when we talk about exhaustion, we're not talking just about schedule. We're not talking just about busyness and freneticness. When we talk about rest, we're not just talking about kicking up your feet, grabbing a pina colada, staring at the TV. We're talking about the kind 
of relief that comes. When you start to believe and see your entire life experience in a different way. So my question is this. How many of you are tired? I want you to take a few moments, just a very brief moment. I want you to fill in this blank. I'm tired of blank. It could be that emotional exhaustion. I'm tired of trying to make this relationship work in this way. And no matter how hard I continually fight, no matter how hard I continually try to do the right thing, it's just not working. I'm really, really exhausted. I'm trying to make it in this career. I'm trying to get my life together. But every time I take these steps, it's, it's like two steps forward and three steps back. I am simply tired of trying to do everything right and yet getting nothing out of it. I'm tired of at work or at home feeling like I need to get this done or my worth or my value is going to be diminished. And if I don't produce and if I don't fully do these particular things, the persons who are close to me or who love me are going to look down upon me. And I myself am going to feel insecure more and more. What are you tired of? Here are a couple thoughts. I'm tired of being tired. I'm tired of having to produce. I'm tired of being disappointed. I'm tired of feeling guilty or ashamed. I'm tired of my own inadequacies. I'm tired of having to be good for somebody else's shortcomings. I'm tired of feeling lifeless. I'm really tired of the fight. Having to fight with fill in the blank. When we talk about exhaustion, this is what we're talking about. And I fundamentally believe that it is into this reality that Jesus speaks. The word exhaustion for all of us simply means drained out. Whatever was in me that caused me to experience the fullness of life that God has promised is now simply drained, and I can't do it anymore. Intellectually, all of us know we need rest. All of us, it, like when I said, hey, we're going to do a series on rest. Yes, thank you. So we all know this. We all conceptually understand it. And we all, I think probably every day or every week or every month of our lives is trying to put in things into our lives which will bring this rest. There's a couple things that's hindering this. The first thing that I think is hindering is, is that we think rest equals laziness. That we have a perception in our culture. The thing that we're fighting against is that if we consider rest, relaxation, or trying to take a break, the fundamental message is this. We are being lazy. We're not being productive. We're not doing enough. And I will tell you that some of us in this room, you probably take a day off. Or you probably take a week off. Or you probably say no to a couple things that some people expect you to say no to. And while you may feel good about it in some ways, there's probably, for those of you in this room who feel this sense of anxiety, even though you may feel good about saying no, there's a part of you that still feels a little guilty. Oh, I probably should have done that. So I'm going to suggest, however, that our concept or idea of freneticness and busyness is really has nothing to do with our schedule but has more to do with our soul. It is not our schedule that's causing us to be frenetic and exhausted. It's not the time frames. 
It's really what we believe, what we think, and how we perceive, and what we understand about our world and about ourselves that's causing the schedule to be what it is. And it is this to which I think Jesus speaks. There's three things, very quickly, that I'll go over. This requires a whole lengthy sociological discussion But I think there's three things that is causing us to constantly push ourselves to the edge. The pressure of performance, the myth of progress, and the craving for conquest. The pressure of performance, the myth of progress, and the craving for conquest. The first one, the pressure of performance, is just simply the idea that your worth, your value, who you are, your identity is tied up in what you do and what you perform, how you produce. And all of us in this room have probably felt that way. I will tell you and honestly confess to you as a pastor, if I don't produce the service well enough, if I don't make sure that curriculum gets out, if I don't make sure that Bible, there's this constant pressure of performance. Now, now the producing is good. Don't get me wrong. We are all created in God's image to be creators. This is a wonderful thing. It's not the creation that is exhausting. It's that pressure to perform and tying your identity and your worth and your value to what you produce. That's exhausting. Because all of us can understand or feel that, you know what, there's just some days I can't do it. And guess what? Your worth, your value is still intact in the exact same way, even if you don't. But regardless, we live in a very frenetic pace, Silicon Valley. We're constantly pushing, pressuring the schedules. I work at a school. The number one thing that I hear is that my child is too busy. There's too much. Constantly having to go. The second cultural push that is causing all of us to feel this pressure is what is known as the myth of progress. Now, sociologists have written extensively about this. Fundamentally, the idea is this. That as we continually go... Oh, you don't like that picture? Okay, try this one. As we continually... As we continually move forward with technology and advancements, we are lulled into thinking that all of our advancements are actually going to make our life better. We get lulled into thinking that in technology, in the advancements that we have, that as we acquire more and more of these niceties and the modernities and all of these things that come along, then all of the anxieties or the pressures or the things that angst us are going to diminish. I remember this one commercial that I absolutely hate of AT&T. They were talking about, you know, unlimited text and unlimited data, et cetera, et cetera. And it's a picture of this guy with his smartphone on a hammock, and he gets whatever email done, and then he puts it down and goes, ah. Because the fundamental message that we've been telling us is as this technology advances, that will actually give us more time to rest. How many of you have experienced that? Come on. Be honest. That's the myth. This myth also persists in Christianity and in religious circles. And it happened, again, referencing Daniel's um, example. If I continually read my Bible every morning, go to church every day, if I'm constantly doing these things, then my life spiritually is going to get better. But I'm going to suggest to you that that is also a myth. Nowhere in the scriptures is it promised to you That if you do this, 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 and this, your life will be trouble-free. That's a myth that we have bought into that causes this disappointment and this exhaustion. And then last, craving for conquest, which is (laughs) simply... Which is simply the idea of king on the hill, king of the mountain. There's something within us, this drive, that 
our ultimate satisfaction is going to come when we are in charge, when I am fully empowered, when all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus said it, so why can't I? So all of these things are constantly pushing us. And we think that if I perform, all of my identity and my worth is going to be intact. If we continually progress, then all other anxieties and ills are going to diminish. And if I'm only in charge and if I get everything that I want, if I'm fully have all of the authority, all my worries are going to weigh. Uh, but then reality hits. And I will bet you every single one of us at one particular point or at multiple points in our lives have all of a sudden been hit and faced with reality. And you start to realize, you know what? Even though I'm progressing, that doesn't necessarily mean everything's getting better. Even though I'm conquesting everything, that doesn't necessarily mean everything is getting better. And just because I'm performing, performing, producing, producing, you know what? That's actually not bringing more peace and more wholeness and more life. It's actually bringing more anxiety. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Have we felt this experience? The pressure of performance, the myth of progress, the craving for conquest. And what we're desperately needing is rest. And what I'm going to suggest to you is that these three things that we are experiencing today is exactly the world that Jesus walked into. If you take a look at the Greco-Roman culture of the first century and even prior to that, you start to realize this is exactly the world that they lived in, the pressure of performance. Have you ever been to the Olympics? which dates back farther than the 700s BC, where the ultimate worth and value of a human being is by your strength, by your acumen, by your performance. The myth of progress, the idea that we have now all this great technology in the Greco-Roman world, and as a result of this technology, we are going to bring a wonderful new world into this place. And then, of course, the craving for conquest, which is totally the Romans. I'm in charge, and because I'm in charge, there will now be peace. And historians, as you've, and for those of you who have been with us for a little while, start to recognize this was not actually what brought peace in the world. These were all myths. Reality hit, and it wasn't really true. And so that's why when Jesus walks into the scene and he says things like Matthew 11, 28, 30, all of those other things begin to dissipate. And now you start to realize this teaching is brilliant and we need it more now than ever. Because we're all exhausted. There are a couple phrases in this that you need to pay attention to. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Oh, man, in this world of freneticness and exhaustion, please, this, I would love some of that. But the key phrase in here is, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So these two phrases, rest, I will give you rest, and yoke. How does this work? What was fundamentally the message? Well, as you know, or many of you know, if you've been with us for a little while, Jesus is constantly referring to some tradition or some history. And this particular phraseology, I will give you rest, actually comes from a passage in Exodus 33. Very quickly, Moses is really exhausted. He's exhausted with the people. He's exhausted with constantly having to perform. He's exhausted with, we're trying to do something liberating and you all are just not getting it. He's tired. He's exhausted. And he has this interaction with God. And in this passage in Exodus chapter 33, he says, if you are pleased with me, notice this phrase, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. 
And then I love this. Remember, this nation's your people. <laughs> it's not my people. This is your problem, God. But fundamentally, what Moses is asking in this phrase, you know what? I'm exhausted from this. Maybe I keep trying to do it my way. Oh, that's not working out so well. Okay, God, teach me your ways. Let me lay down whatever myths or pressures that I'm putting upon myself, and let me do it your way. Teach me your ways. And fundamentally, what is the ways, or what are the ways, what is the way that Moses is asking for? So that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Notice he's not asking how I can perform better. He's not asking how I can manipulate the people into submitting better. In this situation, in this circumstance, how can I know you more, Lord? And if I can know you, then maybe that will be the help and the rest that will come. Immediately after that, this beautiful passage, the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. In answer to your question, Moses, teach me your ways. In answer to your inquiry, my response is, my presence is going to be with you. What do I need to learn? What is it that you're going to teach me? My presence is going to go with you. And it is my presence that will be with you. My way that will give you rest. And Jesus refers to this exact interaction when he says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, you need to couple this with that word yoke. What is a yoke? Pastor Mark was so kind to give me a little bit of a illustration here. A yoke, if you notice in this passage in Exodus chapter 33, and if you take a look at rabbinic sources, a yoke became understood to be a teacher's interpretation of the passages, of the teachings. Certain rabbis, certain teachers had certain interpretations. How do you read this passage? How do you read this passage? How do you read this passage? And how they read that passage was their yoke. So a yoke is an interpretation of how does that teaching live out in this world? What does that teaching actually mean? How shall I apply that teaching? Whatever the answers to that is, that's what a teacher's yoke is. And if you were to take on the teacher's yoke, it is to simply say that that interpretation, that way that you live, that understanding, that meaning that you have brought to that passage, I want to take upon myself. And together, along with that teacher, you are bound together, yoked together, and you live out that teaching. You live out that way. You live out that perspective. You live out that understanding of what that teacher is saying. So when Jesus says to take my yoke upon you, he's basically saying this. If you are to come to Jesus and for him to give you rest, according to that Exodus 33 passage and according to rabbinic literature, it is to learn fundamentally how to interpret these passages, all of these teachings, in such a way that follows the way, perspective, understanding, and meaning of Jesus. And this is really, really critical because we're in a time and a place where we get millions and millions of interpretive lenses. Go ahead, go to any podcast, go to any church website, go to any book, and you're going to get an interpretation of that passage. And what this passage is suggesting to us 
is that a variety of those interpretations are going to place upon you either a burden, as we mentioned before, try harder, or life-giving. And Jesus is saying, there's all sorts of different yokes out there. Take my yoke upon you. Because all of the teachings, all of the interpretations, all of the understandings of all of these scriptures is fundamentally summed up in this, my presence will be with you. And the reason why we did the Jesus ethics, the reason why we're fairly text-heavy, we went through the entire book of Genesis together, is because what we are trying to do in this place is to bring up out of this text, what is the interpretation of these texts? How shall we understand that? What is the perspective? What are the beliefs and what are the understandings of our world and of us through the lens of Jesus? What is that? And if we can understand better the teachings of Jesus, the presence of God, the interpretation, his understanding of who we are in this world that we live in, it is my suggestion that that is fundamentally where we will find rest. If we simply try to attack the calendar, if we simply try to continue to manipulate our world, we will not ultimately find the rest that I think that our souls are craving. What we need is to find a whole new understanding, a whole new perspective, a whole new meaning structure, a whole new yoke. And that's the yoke of Jesus. Okay, Jesus, teach me. What are you really saying? I'm saying in contradiction to the pressure of performance, your worth, your value is solidified because of who God is. This goes right back to the retreat that we keep promoting. That's your worth. That's your value. It's not out of your performance. It's not because of what you produce. It's not because of all the activity in your life. Your worth, your value, your identity is solidified because Christ is in you and you are in Christ. And let that be the sole fundamental way in which you see yourself. Rest comes in full contradiction to the pressure of performance. Rest comes in full contradiction to the myth of progress. Okay, if you do these things, you do these things, and you do these things, life is going to get better. And Jesus says, you know what? I did all these things, and I died on a cross. The interpretation in the way of Jesus is simply to say, I will walk with you. And we will learn together what it means to walk through a life that is not progressing in the way that we see. And whatever conquest, give up the conquest. You're really not that important. And you're really not that powerful. And guess what? (laughs) Your ability to love, your ability to be gracious, your ability to have compassion and mercy and justice in this world, that is ultimately what is going to win over your life and this world over. These are the teachings. This is the interpretation, and a thousand more, because we need to spend a lot of time in Matthew all the way through John and the rest of the Bible to soak in what it is that he's teaching. So I would suggest that all of these things are really the teachings of Jesus coming full contradiction to this. And fundamentally, and the core central of it all, that the teachings of Jesus is to know God and to be known by him, to know who you are and to know whose you are. And I know this may sound simplistic, especially if you've been in church your entire life. This is something that you've heard over and over and over again. But if you take a look at your activity and you take a look at your calendar and you take a look at your soul and your emotions and how your life is actually being played out, 
I'll bet you this idea, this concept, as it does for me on a regular basis, continually slips through the cracks, and I completely forget about it, and I'm drawn once again into performance, into progress, into conquest. And, oh, I need to hold on to that, I need to hold on to that, and I completely forget. My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. It is my very presence with you that will give you rest. Now, there's a little bit of a cherry on top of this. Because that word rest in the original Hebrew actually means um, <laughs> Russell Crowe. No, it doesn't mean Russell Crowe. Um, the word rest comes from the same root as Noah. Oh, that's why I got a little confused in my head. <laughs> the word rest in the original Hebrew has the same word as the, as the word Noah, Noach. So when Jesus is talking about rest, think about that story of Noah, where the entire world was probably exhausted. In fact, the Bible says that the entire world was full of uh, violence and chaos. And it is into this world. And if you read this story carefully in Genesis of the Noah story, it is into this world that Noah becomes this image and this picture and this character of a righteous person that reflects a recreation of the world to make this world brand new. And the passages in in Genesis 6 through 9 actually echo the passages in Genesis 1 and 2. And so what happened in the creation story in Genesis 1 and 2 where God spoke into chaos and out flowed this beautiful creation, so God was doing the same thing through Noah. And so when we hear the word rest and when we hear the word Noah, we are thinking once again, When God's presence comes with us, this isn't laziness or idleness or apathy. This isn't about Jesus just stripping everything away from you and just giving you, oh, I finally have a breather. No, no, no. It's much deeper, much more profound than that. Rest, therefore, in accordance with that definition, is the active recreation of your life. Just like God spoke into the chaos and breathed new life out of that chaotic world. And Noah, through his actions and through building of the ark and through the animals, was recreating the world all over again out of chaos, out of violence. So it is true that when my presence, as God says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. So it is also true that God, when he gives you that rest, is recreating something within you. It is an activity. It's not passivity that God is actively recreating your soul. I would suggest to you that one of the most life-giving, humanizing, soul-filling, caring, kingdom-expanding, Jesus-honoring things that you can do is to find rest in him. So we invite you to find rest. A couple quotes that I think encapsulate this, sum this up. Brene Brown said, cultivate rest and play. Let go of exhaustion as a status symbol and productivity as self-worth. You know, I got to confess, and I've been working really hard at this. (laughs) I should be saying, I'm failing quite successfully at this. (laughs) When people ask, so how are you doing? is my immediate response, well, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I'm busy. And I've caught myself saying that, thinking that it's some sort of badge of honor. 
that because I'm busy, because I'm exhausted, because I'm running around, I'm doing all these things, that somehow my life has more worth. Maybe I need to hear desperately, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. St. Augustine said, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. And then again at this conference that I was at, the speaker gave this um, beautiful quote um, by Lisa Turkhurst. We must not confuse the command to love with the disease to please. I mean, just sit with that for a moment and hear Jesus say over that, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. I find... There are a thousand passages we could have chosen. I I find this one to be poignant. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. You don't condemn me? No, I don't. That's an amazing teaching because everyone else is condemning me. The interpretation that I keep hearing is condemnation and burden and weight and you're not doing enough and look at her and how bad she is. Oh, and you slipped up right there. That's the interpretation that I've been hearing. That's the yoke that I've been carrying around. That's the pressure and the religious spiritual exhaustion that is on my soul. I don't condemn you. My presence is with you. I will give you rest. Rest, I would say, is equal to salvation, to redemption, and recreation. So, our simple invitation during this series, come. All of you who are weary, heavy-laden, exhausted, tired, busy, drained out, and feel and sense that God's presence will go with you, teaching you, instructing you, guiding you, and his very presence will give you rest. Take a few moments, and I've asked Dave to come and close us just in a chorus with the song that he sang earlier. And we're just going to sing through one time, and then we'll close. But in this moment, just for a brief moment, open your heart and maybe even physically open your hands and your soul And say, okay, God, I actually haven't been seeing my life the way that you see it. I haven't been seeing my activity the way you see it. I haven't been seeing my performance the way you see it. I haven't been seeing my job, my marriage, my relationship the way you see it. I need to see it the way you see it. I need to take upon your yoke. And I need to remind myself of your presence. And I need to find rest for my soul in you.
thank you for your life and your example. And I pray for all of my brothers and sisters, including myself, that we would grow and be challenged once again just to rest in you. And I pray that that is not spiritually burdening or exhausting, but by your presence, by your ways, by your interpretation, by the way in which you see us in this world, and by our adopting of your way, we would feel a burden be lifted off of our shoulders and find rest in who you I pray that that gift is given to us on a regular basis and that we would receive it in full. And that you would provide for us, as we have talked about before, the most amazing, complete, overflowing, abundant life possible. You have beckoned us to come. And so, Lord, we're taking a few steps in your direction. We ask that you would just keep calling us as we get distracted and fall short. As our paths veer, would you please keep beckoning us? Please keep calling us. Please keep reaching out to us. And give us the strength and the hope and the will to reach out to you. And we pray this in your name.